This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Faye Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. First offense. All of the mix. Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. Yeah. Hustle in the house. Yeah. Hustle in the house. All right, so Monday, Rob Simpson of VancouverHockeyNow.com stopping by, writer extraordinaire who's going to be posting not one, not two, but three stories potentially by the end of the day. When do you sleep, Robert? Oh, sleep, Roberto. Who needs sleep? It's no fun. Oh, it is fun. Oh, it's actually, it's not fun. It's funner when I, I was know. a kid. Now I wake up thinking about bills and stuff. <laughs> what are the Vancouver Canucks doing when they're waking up? What are they dreaming about these days? The Canucks, what are they thinking when they wake up? They're they're thinking, holy mackerel, I really am excited to play a hockey game because this has just been absurd. And uh, they do get Brock Besser back. We had the little press. I already did the write-up today. Um, comments from Coach Boudreau on the trip and uh, Brock Besser on the gong show that is cross-border COVID protocol. Uh, the man they call Dickie, Jason Dickinson, is there. Um, Besser is there and Petey is there too. Uh, Elias Pettersson is on the trip, ready to go. So just Justin Dowling and Phil DiGiuseppe are uh, stuck. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but am I sensing a little tension underneath the quotes? Because Elias Pettersson coming out saying, I felt no symptoms. I felt nothing at all. Brock Besser's coming forward, bouncing back and forth. He doesn't like the COVID protocols in different states, different provinces. Are we starting to hear a little frustration undertone coming from this organization? And, and it's understandable. You've got a federal government in the U.S. that's kind of like, eh. And then you've got a federal and provincial government in Canada that's much more stringent. So loosely describing what Besser said, he's like, okay, I'm in the U.S. I quarantined for five days. I missed the three games. I come back to Canada. They asked me to quarantine for five more days. Same thing for my teammates. Um, then they ask us to add another five days. That's 10 there. That's 15 total. It's getting a little bit ridiculous. He's an American citizen. So he gets to kind of hop South. No problemo where Dowling and DiGiuseppe don't have that uh, opportunity. So they have to sit, which turned out to be from what I understand is, is essentially a total of 15 days, which is kind of nuts when you're talking about guys that are going to be testing negative or have and have no symptoms. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. I realize, again, that without getting into the politics, it's Omicron, it's different, it's dragging on, it's still dangerous for certain people. But if you're a healthy individual and you have absolutely no symptoms, it seems a little insane to go 15 days. And, and I think that's just a matter of bureaucracy and crossing the border. Obviously, it wouldn't be that way if everybody was staying in one place. So let's just uh, continue to get through this and play some hockey. I want to go back to your theory that you had like a week or so ago when you came on this fine show. And you mentioned that the NHL, after turning their backs on Beijing, needed to kind of make sure that they milk this a little bit so that the timeline works so that all of a sudden people don't come back and say, well, hey, wait a second, you canceled on us. And then the next thing you know, you guys are back hunky dory, no problem. Is there something to that? Because that was one of the things you come on the show and it was a really hot button topic on social media. Are we truly trying to stretch this out theoretically to make sure that that doesn't come back to bite the NHL. You know, you've got this window as it turns out, if you include the all-star break for the Vancouver Canucks, I think you and I counted it at one point a couple of weeks ago, it was 23 or 24 days. So that's a lot of time. 
So the league has a little bit of flex there. Um, if they add, they're going to throw seven games in there as it stands. So that's not horrible. That'd be like averaging one game every three days. There might be other building considerations. Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner of the NHL, has stated that they'll probably add an extra week to the end of the regular season, but then still hopefully get back on track and have the Stanley Cup final wrapped up by the end of June. Um, So are they playing with fire a little bit? Again, based on what I just said a moment ago about Omicron and the lack of predictability with COVID, like who knows, maybe there's another variant waiting right around the corner. And suddenly you've gone, hee hee, we're not going to the Olympics. Let's, uh, we can just keep banging out these games. Uh, The other part of this is, or not banging out these games, uh, the fact that, you know, the Canucks essentially postpone games based on capacity. And that was kind of a secondary sticking point for me is like, all right, you're pushing all these games back, pushing your luck potentially. And then you are like, for example, the New York Islanders game. And then especially the Ottawa Senators game. I don't care if it's 25% capacity, play it for the good of your hockey team. It's a one-off. You know, I, I had heard that maybe it wasn't going to be 50% that the province wanted to take it down to 25 or maybe it's zero. But to me, you know what, get, let your team get their skating legs in before they go on this incredible five game gauntlet against some of the best teams in the NHL so that they're better prepared for that. Because ultimately that improves your playoff chances, um, which means playoff revenue, which is what you really want. So you're sacrificing one game against, or you're playing one game against the Ottawa Senators for zero or 25 or 50% capacity, but maybe you're benefiting your revenue down the line. So is this one of those not seeing the forest for the trees type comments? Like, I don't know. I would have liked to get my legs under me before I headed, headed East. We'll find out. Yeah. Well, I can tell the fans are frustrated. The players are frustrated, but there is a balancing act here that organizations and businesses have to take on when they're looking the, federal and provincial governments in the eye as well. Uh, A guy that's eventually going to have to look somebody in the eye straight on and tell them what he is, is Evander Kane and the NHL Players Association filing a grievance. Everybody wondering here in Vancouver, because this is where he was born and raised, if this is a conversation. Tell me the Vancouver Canucks aren't going to kick tires on Evander Kane. (laughs) The only way they consider it, and obviously this is a question for Jim Rutherford, and he could probably answer it in 10 seconds. The only way you consider it is if it's a scenario where he wins his appeal and he's getting paid all of his money from the San Jose Sharks, yet he's free to play elsewhere. So it'd almost be like a post buyout scenario, kind of similar to that, like a Ryan Suter or a uh, Zach Parise runs off, you know, they get bought out of their huge contract and then they go ahead and they play for a million bucks or they pay for 2.5. So if it was similar to that, where he was already getting paid and through some type of arrangement or compensation or agreement, settlement, and then you could get him for 1.5, I mean, then you might be thinking, hmm, okay. Uh, but, but you're looking at it from you're looking at it from that half of the coin. The other the half, other half of the is coin. Dis- disruption, pain in the ass, nightmare player, bad guy in the room but a super talented player. So 
but again, and I've just had this conversation actually, interestingly enough, with Connor Garland the other day, who I'm going to be writing about here shortly. Uh, we were talking about when there are bad guys in dressing rooms. And I brought up an example of a championship team that said if player A had actually been available to us and healthy, we would have never won the cup. He's that disruptive in the dressing room. Um, so that's really the number one factor. Do you want to bring a guy in there that's had nothing but trouble with teammates and organizations in the past? Probably not given the direction, the team we think it's headed. I just look at this team as timid and I don't mean timid on the ice. I mean, you think of their mainstays aside from JT Miller, who's not afraid to drop the occasional F bomb, but realistically Brock's a quiet guy. Petey's a relatively quiet guy. Bo, for the most part is a quiet guy and the corporate guy that makes sure he stays between the lines. Yep. I just think it's so far away from what the DNA of this team is that sure. 22 goals last year in 56 games. That's a, that's a productive guy, but I just don't know if that translates. Like there's certain other teams that would like if this was, for example, the 2011 Vancouver Canucks, and you yep. think of all of those guys like Kessler and Burroughs, who's biting fingers and all, you know, all these kind of things, maybe he fits in to, you know, a team that's got a little edge to them. But I just feel like this team is far too docile. And I know people will say, well, maybe they need a little truculence like a uh, Evander Kane, but I just don't yep. know if that would mesh well. And I think that might actually be a detriment, but again, we'll have to wait and see what Jim Rutherford says. Well, the game's changed even in the 10 years since that Stanley cup final, like it's gotten a little softer and soft. I'm saying that using that as a general term. Um, it, it has like in the, I did a thing with Luke, about Luke Shen 53 fights in the National Hockey League for Luke Shen. Got to love that. And he's dropped the mitts twice this season. But, you know, here's a guy who's playing with Quinn Hughes that was brought in to actually be a sixth or seventh D-man. And, you know, he's playing 19 minutes a night at the moment just because. Uh, Travis Hamannick, the mystery man. So, I mean, there's a little bit of truculence, but you probably need, and I agree with you completely that, they need more of it kind of throughout the lineup. This team would need to toughen up for the postseason. There's not a lot. I mean, Myers is a big guy and uh, Burroughs is a guy that'll hit anybody. And, you know, there's people that'll run around a little bit. They're not afraid. Actually, Oliver Ekman Larson has been surprisingly physical and tenacious. I think more physical and tenacious than people probably expected, but still an area that, yeah, they might want to, toughen up a, a wee bit. When do you think a player starts worrying about their legacy? Somebody was telling me Milan Lucic is kind of having this, you know, moment. And he's only 33, but he's been in the league since, you know, what, he's got more than a thousand games in the NHL, if memory serves me correct. Mm -hmm. And you look around and his numbers aren't jaw dropping, but he's playing hard. He's playing well, and he's not a detriment to the flames. So it leads me to my question. You know, now that these players are coming into the NHL at 18, 19, 20, and all of a sudden it comes at them a mile a minute. When does the game finally slow down for them? And they start to say, okay, I'm on the back half of this. I better start looking at my legacy, not where I finish in the record books, but like when I establish myself as a bonafide NHL player, not just a guy that came and left. I think it, it obviously varies uh, from player to player. Um, some of that might be directly related to their ego or to their, you know, legend in their own mind status and generally there's not a lot of those in hockey it's a pretty humble group for the most part although there are some um 
that's a difficult question because you know in Lucic's case he won a Stanley Cup in essentially his fourth season so you always have it you never lose that and he's actually kind of been reborn a bit in Calgary lately he wasn't very good at you know he wasn't very good in Edmonton um had a couple 20 goal seasons in there along the way between LA and Edmonton but I'm not sure what Milan's thinking about Milan thinks highly of himself I do know that he really does and that's fine he should I mean he's a he's a tear I think where he feels highly where he thinks highly of himself and I know he does is in the physical intimidation and fight and everything else department because he is a man among boys still right now because you cross paths with him in Boston when yeah. you were working for Nesson, I would assume that you guys crossed paths. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've crossed paths with him since then. I've run into him at rinks, like, you know, just running around the last couple of seasons. And what's the change? Or, or is there a change? He's just older and his foot speed is different. And the game, again, in 10 or 11 years, when since he came in in 07, that's pushing 15 years, the game's gotten a little faster and smaller. And his and the goon element, and he's not a goon at all, but I mean that element of heavyweights is pretty much gone. The protection concept is sort of gone. You brought up a really good okay. So there was this thing on Twitter the other day, and they were talking about the fact that if Connor McDavid was playing back in Gretzky's era, that he would have been greater than Gretzky. And I don't even want to have those conversations because the game is essentially <laughs> apples and oranges across the board. But yeah, athletes today are obviously finer, fine-tuned. They're, they're larger, they're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger, all of the above. But yet, with all of that, there is still the character element to it. So who would have thrived more in if you were to flip those roles? If you put Gretzky in today's game, I'm not going to get a total answer out of you on this, but if you put Gretzky's, uh, Gretzky in today's game, and McDavid back in the 80s, who do you think would have been able to tread the water better? I think Connor McDavid. I mean, if he's skating with the speed that he's skating with now and the ability that he has now, um, and the technology has changed too. That's why it's always unfair to compare Gretzky's to Gordie Howe's and such um, because the skate blades, I mean, just everything about it, the sticks, that's the true, blades. That's true. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> night and day. I mean, Gordie Howe, to me, has always been number one a hero because if you just were to build from scratch, if you're God and you're building the hockey player who A, can score, B, can scare the shit out of people, C, beat the crap out of people, fill, all, fill in all the blanks at what hockey, what, what it used to be and kind of still is, Gordie Howe checks all the boxes. Gretzky doesn't. He needed Dave Semenko or he needed Marty McSorley riding shotgun. So, I mean... There's a difference there if you're building a player from scratch. But now if you're taking scorers and you're taking these high-flying guys, I think, oh, my God, Connor McDavid, if he had Semenko McSorley and playing in the 80s with the wide-open nature of it, he'd be he'd break Gretzky's records. 250, Gretzky, 250 points in a season? Oh, my God. I mean, because – his foot speed is so beyond what Gretzky had. Gretzky's whole thing was eyes in the back of his head. He knew what everybody was doing before everybody else knew what they were doing. And he could skate and he was crafty and he had, you know, unbelievable everything. But God, if you took that and then threw in McDavid's speed with the wide open nature of the game, there was no trap then. 
<laughs> yeah, before the trap. It was pre-trap, pre-everything. It was yeah. somewhat expansion-y too. Not that now isn't expansion-y also. We got, we got 40 new AHLers in the last five years. Here's a question for you. And again, I'm doing this to you with no stats, and, and I'm almost throwing this to you naked. Yeah. You have one draft pick. Are you taking Alexander McGillney or Brett Hall? Oh, God. I got one draft pick. Am I taking Alexander McGillney or Brett Hall? Well, I'm taking Brett Hall. And I'll just take the, I'll take the silver chalice and the fact that he's top five all-time in goal scoring. I mean, he, he won with Dallas and he won with Detroit. So you take cups first, I guess, as a, from a team standpoint. Although Brett Hall, not coachable. Don't want to use the word selfish, but not coachable. He's kind of an F you to the coach kind of guy. I'm, yeah, I'm on my, I'm doing my thing. That's a, a Hall family trait, by the way. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, th- I think I'd still take him. He's, he, yeah, I'd still take him. You know, the reason I ask is, so I, we were talking about Gretzky and McDavid, and then I was just looking at some gaudy numbers. And in 1991, and I do have the luxury of having a computer in front of me, so I'm going to act a lot smarter than I am. Uh, Brett Hall, 86 goals in 1991. The next year, Alexander McGillney potted 76. Yep. And I just look back at that era of guys that were able to get into the 70s and 80s. 80s. And then I pluck two or three guys from this generation and think, boy, I wonder how they would have done back then. Throw McDavid in there. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. I think his game translates. Like, I think you could put him in most eras dating back to, say, the 80s, and he'd probably be fine. Anything before that, I don't know how much toughness he would have had or how that game translates, but... They would never catch him. They'd never catch him. Like they, they'd never, <laughs> they'd never touch him. But you know what they would do? They would do what um, Pat Quinn did to Bobby Orr, and they would do what everybody did to Bobby Orr. They chopped him. That's exactly what they do. Before, man, like people don't realize, like kids nowadays, they'd be like, old man. Rah. But back then, the way you stop guys, you you slashed him in the knees or the ankles or you cross-checked him in the head and you had bench clearing brawls as a result like different different deal he wouldn't he would he would have got chopped to hell if it was the 70s and probably the 80s to some degree without protection uh, Connor mcdavid would have had to have a mcsorley or a semenko just like gretzky if it was the 1980s that's why they were there and they would have to be there for him or he'd be getting walloped if they wouldn't need to catch him. They could just slash him in the chest when he went by and pay the consequences. Final one for you, and I do appreciate your time. Vancouver was the team that was looking and saying, oh boy, we're going to need some help from the NHL standings because everybody around them had a game or two on them. Now the pack is caught up to them. And in some instances, like Las Vegas, four games in hand Vancouver has on the Golden Knights. I know that early on when we're scoreboard watching, it's not that big a deal, but coming down the pipe, blessing or a curse, I would assume a curse because now they got to jam all these games into a short period of time. And the fact that Vegas and Anaheim and San Jose are getting these opportunities to space out a little better, it's probably going to be more advantageous to them. But then I also think if you're a hot team, like let's say Vancouver was as hot as they've been lately, 8-0-1 or 9-0-1 or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, all those games compacted and it rolls right into the postseason. That's almost the team that you don't want to play because they're just taking a, a, a tsunami of momentum into the playoffs. I, I don't know. Is it a blessing or a curse? Uh, I, well, here's the issue. 
number one, Boudreaux brought it up again today. He said, you know, we're getting all these roadies out of the way here. And I think by the time it's said and done because of postponements, we're going to play nine road games and then we're going to be home a whole lot. I'd uh, that's fine. I'd like to shrink it down though and just say, um, Florida, Tampa, Carolina, Washington, Nashville. There's your next five. I don't even know if I want to get pat look bigger picture than that, because that is the gauntlet gauntlet. Calgary played three of those and got smoked. Oh, and three got out, got out, outscored 16, six. So let's just look at the next five. Like if you come out of that two and three, you are a happy camper. And then you get a chance to come back and start making up games. The other part of that is again, let's be presumptuous spread those seven makeup games out over a 24 day period in February. That's not too bad. You know, if they can actually get, if the league gets away with being presumptuous, then the Canucks can benefit by spreading out some games that are makeup games. No problem. That's good. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't think it's a bad thing at all. If it does work out that way in the meantime, they need to get through this next five because um, you know, they're within range. You just pointed out something very interesting, four games in hand on Vegas Vegas is on top of the division, but they're only 12 points ahead of Vancouver. So the problem is, again, catching them will be difficult given the schedule as it stacks right now. So just survive this, check back with us in 10 days, see where we stand, see how many games in hand you have, and go from there. Ride Thatcher until there's no tread on that tire. That's the only way they're getting into the playoffs. I think we'll see Thatcher tomorrow night against Florida. I'll see Thatcher Thursday in Tampa for sure. Then we'll see a, a Thatcher-Yarrow split over the weekend, Carolina-Washington uh, back-to-back, and then we'll probably see Yarrow again next Tuesday in Nashville. What do you say to those uh, – final question for you. What do you say to those who say, oh, you know, we got to keep that $1.5 million. we got to get rid of Halak. You look at this schedule tightening up, and all of a sudden you think – who am I going to go with Thatcher Demko and insert name here, or dare we say, you know, Mikey Di Pietro? I mean, you've got to keep Halak. I, I'm keeping. I'm, I don't. I don't know where that started, where it came from, or why. Well, it's, it's the not calculator a, gang. Whatever it's the calculator it's, gang thinking, oh, we got to save money here, but well, that doesn't make any sense. He's he's a free agent at the end of the season. You're, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. He's, he, this is it. He's off the books after this season. So what are we, what are we dumping him for right now? You probably have, let me contemplate this for a second. I mean, Calgary with Markstrom and Vladar, Dan Vladar is a pretty good combination, but you are staring at, I'm just visually going through this. Seattle, no Edmonton, no San Jose, no LA, no way. Um, Anaheim. Yeah. I mean, Johnny Gibson, you probably have the top goaltending tandem in the Pacific division. And one of the top ones in the Western Conference in the league. I mean, Yaroslav Halak has been outstanding. So if Thatcher goes down for two weeks, you've got a guy that can fill in and, and care, help carry you to a playoff spot. This guy won a Jennings Trophy two seasons ago in Boston with Tuka Rask, lowest goals against average in the league. I don't know. For a buck and a half. I think you get a pretty damn good backup goaltender right now. You ride this thing if you're trying to make the postseason. And last time I checked, I think they are trying to make the postseason. I think so, too. Rob Simpson, thank you for this time. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. I love when I throw you curveballs in the dirt and you still find a way to get a base hit with them. 
Thank you. Alan Trammell, Lou Whitaker. Grew up watching those guys. Dude, those guys screwed the Blue Jays over more than I can remember. Those oh guys were God. so... You know what? I remember the the Tigers roster almost as much as I remember the Blue Jays roster because of proximity. Kid H. Rod, remember Chet Lemon and Jack yeah. Moore sticking it to us all the time. That was such a good era for baseball. I mean, really Boston, was. Baltimore, New York, Detroit. Yep. And the can old you ballparks. Name the seven teams in the old American League East? Could I name them? I probably could take a stab at it. <laughs> I know it's Boston, New York, Detroit, Toronto, Baltimore, yep. Milwaukee. Yes, and one more. They not, just changed their franchise name. Not the um, not the White Sox. They were in the West or whatever. Uh, just changed their fr- – oh, the Indians? Yes. Okay. That was the division. Seven-team division. Yeah, it was great. My I family it. used to take me on fam- summer vacations to uh, Ohio – from Toronto to Sandusky, Ohio, because they had one of the great theme parks in North Cedar Point. Absolutely. Cedar Point, best roller coasters in the world. That's right. And the racing roller coasters. So anyways, we would go there. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) I took my, listen, in consecutive summers, might have been the same summer when I was back in Toronto, this would have been (laughs) 16 or 17. I took my girlfriend there on a trip because we were kicking around down that way to Cedar point. And then I took my son. He was terrified. Like they have, they have roller coasters there. Now he was b- trying to bite my hand while I was like teasing him, but we're going like, you know, 90 miles an hour down this. <laughs> I made him go on this insane roller coaster like four times and he was going to kill me. But yeah. Oh no. Cedar point and is magic. old and they were wooden and they were rickety and he, Oh, now it's on. Yeah, but this is like five years ago, bro. And they're they are like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, this is in the last five years. Girlfriend and son, like two months apart, because I'm kind of a roller coaster junkie. Ah. And yeah, a little bit. And and they have some terrifyingly fast rides. And they got a ton of them. There are more roller coasters at Cedar Point than there are anywhere in the world. So we would take the hour drive from Sandusky to Cleveland. And we would watch a whole Indian series at one time, the Blue Jays aligned. And it was one of the greatest series I think I've ever come across ever. Every game was awesome. I was like 10, 11 years old. The stadium was empty. It was a 65,000 seat stadium. And there might've been 12,000 there. You could sit in any section that you wanted. And yeah, uh, yeah, it's good times. I didn't know you're a roller coaster junkie. Is that a municipal stadium? Yeah. Uh, I used to go to Tiger Stadium, and I actually saw Game Four of the World Series. I won the lottery in the bleachers and sat in center field. And actually, we used to we used to play hooky from school, go down on opening day and sit in the bleachers, which were upstairs in center field. Yeah. But when the World Series lottery, we didn't win the bleachers upstairs. We we won what was called the grandstand, and it was underneath the bleachers in center field. Like you're in like a cage. But it was it was freaking fantastic. What year, what year was that? Eighty four. And Alan Trammell hit two home runs uh, in that game, and then they won the next game, and they they won it in five. And he was the MVP of the series. Was that around when they broke? No, they beat the hell later, out of. This. They broke the Blue Jays' hearts. Uh, that was eighty seven. Yeah, and they were down three and a half with a week to play. And uh, I think on the last day, Frank Tanana threw a one nothing shutout to close out the uh series but he wasn't there in 84 84 was like wilcox petrie um 
Jeff Petrie's dad. Uh, Petrie, Wilcox, Morris, Aurelio Lopez, who they called Senior Smoke. <laughs> it's one of the best names ever. Uh, that yeah, was Willie, Jack Morris in his heyday, though. Oh, he was phenomenal. And Willie Hernandez was the closer. Yeah, the Tiger Stadium was, uh, yeah, it's unbelievable. That place was phenomenal. By the way, Tigers won 104 games that year in 1984. Dude, you know what this, you know what their record was after 40 games? Wasn't it like 35 and five? Exactly. Yes. 35 and five. Imagine starting a baseball season 35 and five. Well, didn't the Orioles start their season 0 and 21 once as well? That's possible. (laughs) So one of my good friends, broadcaster for the Spokane Indians, Mike Boyle, is a diehard Orioles fan. And he has just been for the last 20 years, with the exception of the one year they took the Blue Jays to that one game playoff. uh, It's just been the worst franchise to follow. I know him very well. Well, you probably know him from hockey circles as well. I know him from there. I saw him in Spokane at the preseason game with the, with the Canucks, and um, he used to live in Boise. His family's from Boise. Yeah. Fun fact about him, he's one of the few, I forget what it's called. He's been knighted by... Um, what? Yeah. He's like one of like 20 Americans that has this really unique distinction of being like a, a knight of the Jack Daniels order or something like that. I forget what, what it's called, but yeah, yeah, man. Boyle's got some uh, interesting uh, little oh my turns. God. turns in How much whiskey do you have to drink to get that honor? <laughs> and, I, and I'm pretty sure in the 90s when I lived in New York City the first time, we probably drank enough to get the honor. But I'll have to ask him about that next time I ever see him. He's got, I forget what it is. It's like you become like this prince or a knight or something like that. Oh but anyways, wow. and, and he's the only knight that I know that wears Birkenstocks into a nightclub. <laughs> I've seen it with my own eyes, man. Rob Simpson, thank you for this. Thank you very much, Roberto. Right, we'll, we'll talk, talk again, you. and uh, I yeah. look forward to reading that article that comes out this afternoon on Carnegie Garland. Oh, the pressure you're putting on me, bro. Or tonight, or tomorrow, or whenever. Thank you. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a little later. Yes, a little later. <laughs> right. We'll do it again. Cheers. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen.